Well, we rejoice uh, in Heather's uh, public declaration of uh, who uh, Christ is and who she is in Christ, and we are just uh, uh, just overjoyed to celebrate with her in the 11 o'clock service as she uh, is baptized, and uh, we just are so thankful for what God is doing in her life and will continue to do in her life. And I want to say to those of you who are visiting with us today that we're so glad to have you here as our guest, or maybe you're watching online for the first time. Thank you for joining us there as well. Um, we would love to know you. You can text the word CONNECT to the number that you see on the screen, and one of our CONNECT team members will follow up with you this week, and we'd love to answer any questions you might have as well. Or if you're with us on campus, you can stop by one of the uh, welcome areas on your way off campus this morning, and our team will be there to greet you and help you learn how you can get connected into the life of our church. And let me just say this. What we would love more than anything else is for you to have the same kind of peace that Heather just talked about. Maybe you have been medicating. Perhaps it's not with drugs and alcohol, but maybe it's with uh, money. Maybe it's with relationships. Uh, maybe it's with something else. But the reality is you do not have peace. And we want you to know that the, the peace that you can have by trusting in Jesus Christ. And we want to walk alongside you as you take those steps in what it means to follow him. So if you're familiar with church, you might know that typically at the end of the sermon or the end of the service, there's an opportunity to pray, uh, to give your life to Christ. But I just wanna say to you right now, you can pray that right now. You don't have to wait till I say anything else. If God has gotten your attention enough right now, you can say to him in your own words, I know that I am a sinner and I know that I have been running from you, God, and I know you're still here. And I know your grace uh, can cover my sin, and I turn my life and my will over to you. You can do that right now. There is nothing we want more for you than that right now. And today, as we look further at the cross, uh, we, we really want everyone to understand that that idea, that message is central uh, to our life. A couple weeks ago, we began uh, looking at the cross as we were in our journey through the gospel of Mark, and we talked about how Jesus on that day did not save himself so that he could save you and me today, that the reason Christ, even though he had the power and he had the authority to come down from the cross, did not, is because he loved us. God loved us so much that he gave Christ for us. As the Bible puts it, it is rare that a man would die for a righteous person. It is even rarer that they would die for a good person. But God demonstrated his love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross is not about who we have the potential to be, what we are on our best day. The cross is Christ's love for us, the death of Christ's love for us, even on our worst day. And this is central to life, this is central to what heaven will be. This is central to worship. And that's why we're spending three weeks on the cross. Next week, we will look at worship in light of the cross. Today, I want to look at a passage in 1 Corinthians and talk about the foolishness of the cross. The foolishness of the cross. The cross has become something that we are very familiar with. 
The story of Jesus is something that we have become very familiar with. I mean, Christmas time is coming, and so uh, Jesus will be referenced all over the place, even in places that say they want nothing to do with Jesus. We also have other holidays like Easter, which hinges around who Christ is. Jesus is depicted in art. Jesus is talked about in songs, not just in Christian songs, but in secular songs. Jesus is referenced in pop culture expressions and and much more. Jesus and the cross are something that we can be so familiar with in our culture that we can easily lose sight of who they really are and what it really means. And we can lose sight of the absurdity of and the foolishness of the cross. This is what Paul explains over several verses in chapter one of 1 Corinthians and what we will look at today. For some of you, today is going to cause a deeper appreciation for who Jesus is and what he has done for us. For some of you, today is going to flip your world upside down, leaving you with the decision of what you will do. My prayer is that we will all leave this place responding by clinging to the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 through 25, the Apostle Paul writes, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Father, I ask now that you would increase, that I would decrease and that indeed you would speak to us. God, that we would have ears to hear what you would want us to hear, and God, that we would respond to you in the way you have called us. May your spirit empower us to do that now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Paul says something quite peculiar here in verse 17. He says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. The Apostle Paul, the missionary Paul, the church planter Paul says, I am not trying to convince you or win you because I don't want to take away from the power of the cross. I don't want to take away from the focus on Christ. I don't want to take the focus off of Christ. Paul says, I want it to be clear through my life and through my ministry 
Not that I was gifted, not that I had it together, not that my methods were appropriate, but that the cross, the gospel, is powerful. He says in verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We will just deal with the first half of this verse right now. The word, word, means a revelation. It's a Greek word, logos. It means a message, something that is revealed to us. So when he says the word of the cross, he means the message of the cross. What the cross says, what God is telling us through the cross. The message of the cross is that we are sinners, that we deserve death. And yet, because of the sacrifice of God, we can have righteousness. Now that is good news. That's the gospel. But a lot of people don't see it that way. It's folly to those who are perishing, verse 18 says. It's foolishness. That word means to be not given weight or value. It's like if somebody who's kind of goofy tries to give you advice. You don't give a lot of weight to that. You say, you know, I'll take that into consideration. I just realized I've probably told you a lot. I'll take what you say into consideration. That's not why I've said that, I don't think. Now notice that he says the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, not those who have perished. So those who are headed towards destruction. So those who are headed towards destruction see the cross as foolish. Why? Why is this? Well, look at verse 21. It says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Let me explain. There are two desires that the cross does not satisfy. There's probably more desires, but in this text, there are two worldly desires that the cross does not satisfy. Paul helps his original audience and us see this. Verse 22, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. These two desires, the two things that people are looking for that cause them to look down on the cross. The first is this, power. The first worldly desire that the cross does not satisfy is the desire for power. I want you to think about the Jews. The Jews were God's chosen people. God had promised to Abraham that I'll give you a land and I'll give you many descendants and I'll give you a lot of influence. God had then taken the Israelites who were in slavery to the Egyptians for 400 years and he had delivered them out of slavery once again to freedom where they began to prosper and really prosper in a way that was much more significant than a nation of its size would have. And so David's kingdom was built and then Solomon's kingdom was built upon that and people would flock, kings and queens would flock to Israel to learn from them and learn from their God. But now in the time of Jesus, they are not this mighty nation that they once were. They're second-class citizens under Roman rule. But they had the religion. They had their faith. And they wanted to see signs of God's hand, God's power. 
And the reason they wanted to see these signs is because it would indicate that they would also, again, have power in their mind. So many of them rejected the gospel. They rejected Christ because there was no such sign with him. Wait, they saw Jesus heal. They saw him raise people from the dead and so forth. Yet, yes, but those were not signs confirming what they wanted. The restoring of Israel to power. And any hopes of that through him was nailed to the cross. So they rejected him. And I would suggest that in our familiarity with the cross, we have lost this message. And many claim Christianity, but when confronted with the truth of the cross and that it does not promise earthly power, those same people who might even claim Christianity actually reject Christianity. You see, the cross says, you do not deserve a sign, you deserve to die. The cross says, you do not deserve a sign, You deserve to die. We're looking for a sign that we can have the life that we want, the power that we want, the prosperity that we want, the influence that we want, the things we want for our kids. And we look to the cross and it does not give us a sign. It says you deserve to die. It says that I deserve to die. The cross says we don't deserve any of those things. To further illustrate this, I wanna look at Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees in the Gospel of Mark that we read a few months ago. Mark chapter 8, verse 11 through 13. Mark chapter 8, verse 11 through 13 says this. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now, Matthew's gospel tells us that he said the only sign you would get would be the sign of Jonah, the sign of judgment. If you are looking for power, then you will look for signs. Maybe we don't call it that. You will look for affirmation, things that assure you that you're headed in the right direction to get the things that you desire in your heart. But when we look to the word of God, when we look to Christ, when we look to the cross, the cross says God's earthly plan for you could be death. A Christianity that doesn't Factor in, God's earthly plan for me might be death is not a Christianity that is accurately represented from the scripture. Because that was indeed God's plan for Christ. In Jewish thought, anyone who hung on a tree was under the curse of God. And so the Messiah King could not be cursed in Jewish thought. The cross does not satisfy that desire for earthly power. 
And those who are looking for earthly power will ultimately reject the cross, Christ. Now, verse 22 points out the other desire, the other thing that people are looking for that causes them disdain for the cross or to look down on the cross, and that is wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom is a worldly desire that the earth, excuse me, that the cross does not satisfy. You have the Jews who are looking for power, who are looking for signs, who want people to see we are God's people. And then on the other side, you have the Greeks who were hungry for wisdom and hungry for knowledge. Now, wisdom in their day did not start with what is true. It started with this is how I feel. What philosophy helps me validate how I feel or helps me pursue what I feel? What truth works for me? What is my truth? Their focus was very much on the practical and beneficial. What will help me kind of be a better person? What will help me live life to the fullest the way I want to live it? And, and they took pride in any wisdom and knowledge they acquired that then was therefore practical and beneficial to their life. And so therefore, many of the Greeks also rejected the gospel, rejected the cross because it did not meet their standards of human wisdom. I want you to think here. The cross is something no one would think of for salvation. Man has been wondering about salvation, been wondering about justification with God since man could breathe. No one would come up with this idea that the way God's going to justify us, the way we're going to be justified, is that God in the flesh would come down and die. I mean, I know that we're 2,000 years removed from this, but think about how absurd this is. The very idea that God would become a man, stop right there. You've lost billions of people just like that. Muslims are out. They believe God could not, would not debase himself by becoming a man. There's hundreds of millions of others who think there's no God in the first place. And hundreds of millions of others who think it's preposterous that any man could be divine. Then take it a step further. That God would not just come to the world as a man, but that as a man, he would be killed. He would be crucified. Feel the horror here to a Jew or to a Greek or to a Roman or to us. That our God, our Savior, would hang on the cross at the hands of those who reject him and who think we're wrong. Now, we wear crosses around our necks and hang crosses in our homes, but you didn't do that in the first century. That would be like us walking around with a lethal injection needle around our neck or like having a picture of an electric chair above our dining room table. Crucifixion was not only a horrible death, it was a shameful death. Free Roman citizens were not crucified. And so Christ crucified is folly to Gentiles. It's foolishness to Gentiles. The word here literally means madness. Gentiles hear that a Jewish man died on a piece of wood on an obscure hill in an obscure part of the world and his death determines the fate of every person in the world. 
That's madness. And I think in the familiarity of the story and in our familiarity with the cross, we lose sight of that, of how absurd it really is. We lose the weight of the foolishness of the cross and we forget how bold what we are proclaiming really is. And we forget what it really means. And what I would say to you is this, if Christ crucified is a stumbling block for Jews and folly for Gentiles, it is ridiculous to the typical American. If Christ crucified is a stumbling block for Jews and folly for Gentiles, it is ridiculous to the typical American. And while many claim Christ because of the historical implications and it being the geographical norm to say how we feel like we can go to heaven, I think many who even claim Christ reject the real message of the cross, reject the gospel. I want us to just stop and think for a moment. Like, I know you got a lot you're thinking about and you're ready to sing the song and go wherever. But I just want you to think for a moment. I want, I want you to imagine yourself today hearing someone say to you, a Middle Eastern man was executed today in a small Middle Eastern country that you have no desire to ever visit. And he's your savior. He's your only hope. I want you to take a successful, hardworking man with a great job, a nice car, and a nice house, and the 401k, and all the things you could want in life. I want you to take the free-thinking woman who thrives on her independence and who wants to ensure that it is her body and her choice and that she gets everything she is entitled to with this life. I want you to take the good man who has done his duty for his country, who has lived his life trying to do right and mind his own business and enjoy his hobbies and get honor that is due him from others. I want you to take the stay-at-home mom who has raised her kids to be responsible, whose house is in order, who volunteers her time and ensures her family doesn't miss out on any of the experiences in life. I want you to take them all to the Middle East to that small town, then go out the side the city to a garbage dump where a local naked man is hanging by nails on a tree covered in blood and tell them, bow down and worship him. Your only hope in life is believing that this man is God. And you are entirely dependent on him as your judge, your master, your Lord, and your king. That's the cross. That's the gospel. And I think in the familiarity, we lose sight of the seriousness of that claim. Maybe that man and that woman will laugh. Maybe they will roll their eyes. Maybe they'll feel sorry for him and they'll move on with their lives. Listen, because bowing down to this man isn't going to guarantee them more money or more freedom, or more protection for their nation, or the life they want for their children. 
And so many reject the gospel. They reject the cross. But what I'm here to tell you today is that our only hope in life is found in the brutal, bloody, humiliating, horrifying death of a naked Middle Eastern man on a wooden post. And I realize that that might sound bold to you this morning and that might sound even strange to you, but my desire and my prayer is that every single person in this room who is watching online would walk away clinging to the cross of Jesus Christ as your only hope. That you would see the cross of Jesus Christ as the center of everything you do and everything you are and everything you need and everything that you long for in this life. And that we would be transformed and when we be active servants of Christ because of the cross. Verse 18 says that the cross is the power of God to those who are being saved. For the word of the cross, verse 18 said, it's folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That word power is the word where we get our word dynamite. It's this explosive strength. The cross is the source of explosive strength. The cross is the source of explosive growth. The cross is the source of explosive perseverance. It is strength. And verse 24 says, it is also the wisdom of God. But to those, verse 24 says, who are called both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Through the cross, people can see the plan of God, the ways of God. There is nothing more revealing of who God is and what he wants us to know than the cross. You see, this was the plan of God from the beginning of time. And he ensured this would happen for his people with hundreds of Old Testament prophecies fulfilled and with the reality that while there was death, there came hope in the resurrection because who was on the cross? And all of this happened because God chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be adopted in him. The cross reveals to us the love of God. It is a slap in the face if you are self-reliant, trying to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and be a good Christian man or woman. But if we are finally honest and humble and we recognize our hopelessness and our need for salvation from God, the message of the cross surprises us and it comforts us. Tim Keller puts it this way. The cross shows us that we are far more sinful than we could have ever imagined and far more loved than we could have ever hoped for. The cross shows us that we are far more sinful than we could have ever imagined and far more loved than we could have ever hoped for. You are sinful. So sinful that you fall short of the glory of God. Hopeless. That's the depth of the cross. Christ demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you are loved. That's the depth of the cross, that Christ did that because he wanted you to be reconciled to God. And the mistake we make is looking for wisdom and power and joy and meaning while trying to look away from the cross. The reason we do that is because it's challenging to look to the cross for wisdom and power because it tells us, it bids to us, come and die, which seems foolish. 
But if you really think about the whole idea of God, anything about him in any way we trust him is not foolish or weak. Verse 25 says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Means God and just the smallest amount of God is greater than any wisdom or any power that man can come up with. And God tells us one day, he'll put an end to these futile attempts that claim wisdom and claim strength anywhere apart from him. Verse 19, Paul quotes Isaiah chapter 29 and says, for is it written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. People think they are wise. Perhaps you think you are wise. You think you can figure out life without God. And we take so much pride in the life we live. And one day, the revealing of God's wisdom will crush all of this. And the question will be asked, verse 20, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? God makes it clear how finite our understanding is. And I think in a way like what happens in the book of Job, when Job questions God, God can say, were you there at the beginning? And so what God is doing in the cross is he's revealing his wisdom and his power for us to have righteousness. The only way that a holy God can accept us sinners is through a complete holy sacrifice which could only be offered up by him. And it's offered up by him, so death is not final. Christ is alive. And he's at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes for those who have access to him through the cross. And so the response, the response to that is a recognition. And again, maybe this is you this morning. And you recognize I am a sinner. And I don't have peace. And I've been relying on my strength and my wisdom and my righteousness. And the Bible tells us our righteousness is filthy rags. And today you need to turn your heart to Christ. I plead with you to do that this morning. By the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if that's you and you're here and maybe you're a new believer or you're just figuring things out or you don't know where you are, what I'm about to say you're going to hear, so you're welcome to hear it. But I'm, I'm speaking primarily to those who, who claim Christianity who claim to believe what I've been talking about and say, that's my only hope. If that's true, then why isn't your life any different than those who are getting their cues about wisdom and power from the world? If we truly believe that that Middle Eastern man on the cross in a place that no one would care about if it wasn't for what he did, if we truly believe that that was God and that's our hope, then why are you living your life according to the patterns of this world? Why is your life not turned upside down by the gospel? And why are you therefore not turning your community? Why are we not turning our communities upside down by this truth? 
You see, the gospel isn't something we respond to one time. Maybe when we're young or maybe when we're in our teens or our 20s or whatever it may be. For the Christian, the gospel is something we respond to every day. Every day we deny ourselves and we take up our cross and we follow him. And the cross is something we realize gives hope to the world. David Platt says it this way, when you know that Jesus has died for the sins of men and women, that he has taken the guilt and shame and penalty and price of sin upon himself for men and women so that they might be forgiven of all their sin and restored, reconciled to God now and forever, then you want to proclaim this hope. But we can't just try to get people to come here or show them our way is better than their way. That all feeds into our ego and our pride. We need them to see the gospel. As Paul says in Romans, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel, the message of cross, of the cross saves. Apologetics are a useful tool, but the gospel is an essential tool. The gospel message of Christ, the cross the resurrection, that is what saves people. That's why Paul says to start this section of 1 Corinthians chapter one and verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. He says, I'm not just trying to get credit for the number of followers that I have but I'm trying to preach the gospel and I, I don't wanna do that in a way that empties it of its power. So I'm not trying to do it in a persuasive way, he says. I'm trying to do it in a very clear way. If the gospel is the power of salvation, then we have to ensure that we are making the gospel central. We'll be going through the book of Galatians in the first part of 2023, and we'll almost focus wholly on that, how it has to be clear. It has to be essential. Listen. Church, and I'm all for us uh, evaluating our methods and us, us looking to the way that people do things, but when people gather together on a Sunday morning or in this worship service or they gather in our life groups, what be, must be most clear is not that we have gifted musicians and nice facilities and, and articulate speakers, which we don't clearly, but what must be clear is that Jesus loves them. That the gospel message is available for all. And Paul says, Paul says, church, don't in your way of reaching people ever deny the power of the gospel because that is what saves people. That's what we must walk away with very clearly when we gather together. And then I would also say in our lives, in our lives, what must be very clear from the people that we are around is that our hope is found in Jesus Christ. Listen, everyone's a minister, not just me and Pastor Justin and Pastor Michael. Everyone's a minister. And so here's our strategy for ministry. This is what it should be. To show people we're not as impressive as we might seem and that God is more impressive than they might seem. So show them the truth. That's our ministry philosophy. And that comes out of a response to the gospel every day. When we did our Live Sense series a, a few years ago and my friend uh, Jason Dukes was here preaching, he said something, it has stuck with me ever since he said this. He said this, maybe the world doesn't see why they need the gospel because we are not showing them why we need the gospel. 
Maybe the world doesn't see why they need the gospel because we aren't showing them why we need the gospel. I'm all for methods of evangelism. Three circles is my you know, favorite way of sharing the gospel. There's other methods of evangelism. But maybe we don't need more evangelism classes and apologetics classes as much as we just need to be people who are utterly dependent on the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and people see that as our hope. And they don't see us as people who have it together and have figured it out, but people who have a great, loving, powerful, saving God. The cross bids us come and die. Lecrae said, every day I must attend a funeral, my own. I must die and let Jesus live through me. May we die to ourselves and let Jesus live through us. I wanna move into a time of response. I do ask that you would, out of respect, bow your head and close your eyes. And I really wanna talk to two, two people. First, I wanna talk to those who do not have peace in Christ. And if you're here and you're already a Christian, just be praying for those in this room, those who are watching this online. And if that's you, I would just say, in your own words, confess to Christ that you've been running from him and you're done running. That you know you're a sinner, that you know that he demonstrated his love towards you, that while you were still a sinner, Christ died on the cross for you. That it wasn't just a noble death, it was a sacrificial death by God himself who has authority over sin and authority over death and so he has risen and just say, I trust you with my life. I wanna live for you. And maybe you don't feel worthy of that, maybe you don't feel worthy of baptism, you're not. I'm not. That's the depth of the cross. We are worthy because he has declared us worthy, the only one who can. I pray you would trust in him today. We want nothing more than to walk with you in those steps of following Jesus. And now for those who are Christians, why don't we just confess to God now, in this moment. God, forgive me for putting too much hope in whether my political party wins. God, forgive me for putting too much hope in how much money is in my retirement account. God, forgive me for putting too much hope in the relationships I do or do not have. God, forgive me for putting too much hope in how much influence I have on social media or other ways. God, forgive me for putting too much hope in how good I am at church because you are my only hope, Jesus. What happened on that day on the cross, you did for the world, but you did that for me. And so I owe you everything. And so God, help me to wake up every morning and deny myself and take up my cross 
and follow you and use me for your glory, which you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.